Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wisdom Awakening. I'm your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. And uh, I'm trying to get my focus right here. But that's not uh, proving to be easy to do these days for some reason. That's a little bit better. Um, yeah, it's real. It's real live television, folks. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just want to make sure it doesn't become amateur hour. Look, there's something I'm going to comment on before I get to the word today. Um, I, I, you know, I really just can't help myself here. The, the Tom Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, has been uh, accused of going too far by suggesting that Judge Katanji Brown Jackson would perhaps represent Nazis because she represented the terrorists uh, in Guantanamo Bay. And um, John Roberts on Fox interviewing Tom Cotton asked him if that was a bridge too far, if he had gone too far to suggest that. And Cotton defended himself, saying, no, he didn't believe it was going too far. So I put the question to you, is that going too far? Uh, I don't think it is. And let me explain to you why. Okay. Let me get to my notes here. Look, rather than sort of the emotional, why would you associate her with Nazis and defending Nazis? This is what John Roberts should have asked. Okay, shouldn't have asked, did you go too far? He should have asked because that's, there's a polemic in that question. The implication is you did go too far. Now defend yourself. What he should have said was, why did you make that association? Some people thought that it was going too far. Why did you say it? And then giving him an opportunity to express himself rather than presuming that it was going too far and then putting him on the defensive to defend against it. The real question is this. Are Islamic terrorists equivalent to Nazis? Right? I mean, that's the real question. Because if your answer is yes, they are, then her defending them is arguably the equivalent of defending Nazis. If they're not, then obviously you're going too far to suggest that her defending them is the equivalent of defending Nazis because they're nothing like the Nazis. Well, I believe that they're just like the Nazis. I believe they're just like the Nazis. A, because even though they have not killed six million Jews, they'd like to. In fact, they'd like to wipe out the entire Jewish community. You know that. I know that. So in that sense, they think just like Hitler thought. They want every Jew wiped off the face of the earth. They'd like to destroy Israel. That's exactly the way Hitler thought. Number two, they've certainly committed atrocities, maybe not as vast in number because they haven't had the ability, but they've certainly had the willingness. They've chopped off heads. They murdered people en masse. They put people in mass graves. They killed 3,000 Americans in one fell swoop by commandeering our airplanes and crashing those into the World Trade Towers. 
So clearly they're a bloodthirsty, murderous bunch, just like Hitler and the Nazis were. The only thing you can say is they haven't, they don't have the organization and the ability to kill as efficiently as Hitler did. But there is no question in anybody's mind is there that if they had that ability, they would do it. Does anybody doubt that? No. So, so clearly you can equate them with Nazis. I think that's indisputable. The question is, was she forced to represent them? Was she uh, appointed against her will? doing her duty as a lawyer. Now the answer is apparently a mixed bag. Apparently when she was a public defender, she was appointed to do this work, but then in a private law firm, she did it voluntarily. So let me just back up a second and say this to you. Uh, this is another big reason why I oppose her nomination, I oppose her confirmation, oppose her nomination, and now I oppose her confirmation. The woman is evil. She is evil. And you know, she can dress that up behind a smile and all that, but I mean, that, that, that means nothing. Say, so, wow, Bishop Jackson, isn't that going too far? Suggest that she's evil. No, it's not going too far. Now, we, all the other things we could talk about, I won't get into. You can't, I can't define motherhood. I, I can't define what a woman, I mean, I can't define what a woman is. Forgive me. I can't define what a woman is. Uh, I don't have an opinion on natural law. Um, her sympathy for child pornographers. Oh, there's a less serious child pornography. And I feel saying to one defendant, I feel terrible about putting you um, in there. And uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. Melvin Johnson down in, and he's also uh, uh, the, the Texas uh, president for Stan, says that he, he believes there's a racial component in this because the guy who she was apologizing to is black. So almost as if she, you know, she really has bought into this sort of CRT mentality that we should never be locking up black people because, of course, they're victims of the, of the system, no matter how heinous the crime they've committed. So leaving all that aside, okay, leaving all that aside, this woman is part of a leftist cabal. Eric Holder's part of it. His law firm made a, a fetish of representing these terrorists and they weren't required to do so. They did it voluntarily and with enthusiasm. And she was not in all cases required to do so. She did it voluntarily and with enthusiasm. And in fact, at one point she accused the United States of being a war criminal, of, of committing war crimes, I should say, of committing war crimes against the terrorists. Um, so Robert said to Cotton, um, she did not get to pick and choose her clients. This is really due process. Cotton says when she was in the federal prosecutor's office, the federal public defender's office, she was assigned cases involving terrorists said, but in one of those instances, she was in private practice. And in two more matters, she voluntarily signed a friend of the court's brief advocating on behalf of Guantanamo terrorists. So he says she voluntarily advocated for the terrorists at Guantanamo Bay 
and accused American soldiers of committing war crimes. Now, let me explain something here, which is why I think Tom Cotton was right on the mark. See, she is part of this this radical cabal of black and white leftists who really hate this country. They hate it as it's presently constituted. And in that sense, they have an affinity for anybody else who hates America. So see, these terrorists, like the criminals that Judge Jackson defends and, uh, and apologizes to for having to lock them up for their heinous crimes, somehow these people are not real criminals. They're not really bad people. They're our victims, see. They're victims of America because somehow we exploited their countries and somehow we're responsible for the condition of their nations and somehow we're responsible at one point, you heard them saying, if only they had jobs. We're responsible for the fact that they don't have jobs. And I mean, we now know many of these terrorists, highly educated, some very wealthy, medical doctors, lawyers, accountants, people who were well-to-do, who got involved in the terrorism effort against our country and against the world. So, I mean, that this stuff is, you know, oh, it's because we've impoverished them and we've exploited their country. I mean, that's just a bunch of leftist hokum. But that's the way Judge Jackson thinks. That's the way Eric Holder thinks. That's the way Barack Obama thinks. All of them think this way. They're anti-American zealots. And so they have a natural affinity and affection for anti-American zealots. And that's what these terrorists are. And so they don't have any problem defending them. They don't have any problem accusing America of committing war crimes because that's where their hearts are. Their hearts are more with the terrorists than with their own fellow citizens in their own country. And in that sense, Katanji Brown Jackson is totally culpable for her enthusiastic defense of people who were responsible for the deaths of thousands of Americans and other people around the world and responsible for a movement that is dedicated to the annihilation of the Jewish people. Now, Tom Cotton, I'll say amen to those comments. And John Roberts, I'd say educate yourself. Think a little bit more logically. Get off the emotional stuff. Oh, you associated her with Nazis. Well, let's talk about the logic of that association, of that comparison, if you will. Yeah, we, we, we've got, you know, we, we've got, the left has convinced too many people that you don't have to think through things. It's just what you feel that matters. Oh, that doesn't feel right. Well, the question is, Logically, does it make sense? Logically, is it right? And I say it is. And I say there are several counts, several reasons why this woman should not be promoted, uh, uh, ultimately confirmed for the United States Supreme Court. And I tell you what, my prayer is that she will ultimately not be able to serve out her term. My prayer 
is that something will stop her, that she will resign, that some, for some reason she will be off the court and not able to inject her poison into the constitutional and legal bloodstream of our country. Now, is that plain enough? That's where I stand on the issue. And all this stuff about, oh, the people who oppose her, we know what this is all about. You know, these leftists, hey, we know what this is all about. It's all about the color of her skin. No, it's all about her positions on the issues and the things that she said and done. That's what it's all about. It has nothing to do with the color of her skin. I mean, but that's, that's the, the last refuge of the scoundrel. Hide behind race. Oh, it's because it's racist. It's, ra it's racism. Well, I'm black just like she is. And in my op-ed, I said, I don't have a problem with a black woman being appointed to the Supreme Court at all. I think it's great. But not this one. And by the way, what about this woman that um, uh, uh, President Bush, a black woman, um, I think her name was Rogers, if I'm not mistaken. I'll get the name. But a black woman nominated by President Bush to, to the United States Supreme Court, and the Democrats filibustered her because they didn't like the fact that she was conservative. Were they racist? I tell you, I've said this before, I'll say it again. These leftists are the biggest racists on the planet because they really believe that if you don't think the way, that if you're a black person or Hispanic or Asian or any ethnicity other than, the other than and, and even frankly, no matter who you are, if you don't think the way they tell you to think that you are inherently a traitor to your race, that's their, that's their conception and a traitor to them, more importantly. See, they have an ownership mentality about black folks and other minorities in this country, like they own you. And they will dictate what you can and cannot think. And, and folks, I'm not making it up. I'm not exaggerating. Didn't um, uh, 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 Joe Biden say to, I forget what this guy calls himself, um, that he was being interviewed by this guy, and I, I'm not call, he call, calls himself the God or something. I mean, I, that did. But at any rate, didn't he say to him, if you don't vote for me, you, quote, ain't black. They get to define you, you, who you are based on whether you adhere to their views and, and, and what, the way they say you're supposed to think. And they get to categorize you based upon whether you adhere to what they tell you you're supposed to think. I mean, that, see, to me, that is ultimately racist, condescending, supercilious. You want to talk about white supremacy. That's white supremacy. That's some leftist who thinks because he's superior in his knowledge and wisdom and understanding, he gets to dictate to black folks what they should and should not think. I mean, it, that, is, that is arrogance in the extreme. So the very finger that they're always pointing at other people saying they're racist, for three of those fingers are pointed right back at them because they are the, re they're the biggest racist on the planet with that sick, condescending, disgusting, superior mindset that they have um, and they, in fact, to tell you the truth, they don't just disagree with black conservatives. They hate us and they love to destroy us. I've said, indeed, I think if they thought they could get away with it, they'd kill us. 
and you know, right wing watching some of these other, oh, they just, oh, but, but I, listen, I believe that because that's what history shows leftists do when they're given enough power to do it again and again and again and again. It's not a one, I'm not just picking, cherry picking some one incident. It's a historical fact, a trend that when these leftists get in power, they kill people who don't subscribe to their view. Every, from the French Revolution right on down to the Bolshevik Revolution and, uh, and, and, and Mao Zedong's um, The Great Leap Forward. You're in the way, you die. And by the way, these leftists admire all these people. They, they love Mao. Anita Dunn, B B Obama's former communications director, said Mao was one of the people that she turns to when she's got in a dilemma and is trying to figure out what to do. That murderous, communist, dictatorial thug. That's who she turns to. And she was the communications director for the White House of the United States of America. Am I making it up? These folks are dangerous. They would rather empower terrorists to kill us than allow America to be strong and free. They don't want America to be strong and free. They want America under their thumb. And they don't, they, and certainly they don't want God in the picture. That's why she didn't, she wouldn't accept natural law because natural law, the theory is natural law comes from almighty God. Our rights, our freedoms as human beings come from him. She, she wouldn't express an opinion about that because she doesn't believe it. Because no leftists believe that. They believe that power, that, that rights and freedoms come from them and what they deem to dispense to you. All right, folks, I think I've said everything I need to say about that. Let's, let's get to the word. I've actually been doing pretty good here. I, I ended yesterday a little after nine o'clock because I went straight to the word. And of course, the day before I was a little early. So let's see how we make out today. Um, Thursday, April 7th. Let's come back to the book of Thessalonians, first Thessalonians chapter five. Okay. And um, we talked about, we ended at verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. And I expounded on that. So let's pick up at the 15th verse. It says, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Now, see, folks, this is where we have an earthly disadvantage, but a divine advantage. The earthly disadvantage, particularly in the arenas of uh, where people like me are operating, where we're in the public square, where we're speaking out, where we're involved in shaping public policy and involved in dealing with uh, elected officials, um, running for office. It says, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. That means that if I'm a candidate for office and somebody lies on me or somebody does something and pulls some dirty trick on me, I can't do the same thing to them. That's evil. As a Christian, I can't and won't do it to them. 
God cannot be glorified by inglorious means. We can't glorify God by doing evil when people do evil to us. But the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Oh, they're going to reap what they've sown now. There's no question about that. There is a price to be paid. There is a day of reckoning. That's why the Bible says pray for people because if they resist it, they heap coals of fire on their own heads. But you hope that they don't resist and they repent and they can become your brother or your sister in Christ. That's our desire. Right now, they are children of perdition and the Bible calls them children of wrath. But when they turn their hearts toward God, they become sons and daughters of God because he wants them. He doesn't want to pour out his wrath on them. He doesn't want to cast them into hell. He doesn't want them to spend an eternity in suffering and pain. But that's what they're choosing when they choose against him because they choose the destiny of the fate and the reality that Satan himself confronts. We don't want that for them. So we don't do evil for evil because we, we want people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So in the realm of, 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 of politics, professional life, sports, whatever it is, if you're watching me, listening to me as a Christian, you can't do to others the evil things that they may do to you. So Bishop, what am I supposed to do? Well, there's several things you can do that are within righteousness. The Bible says be angry and sin not. You can certainly defend yourself when it's appropriate. You can certainly speak up for yourself. You can tell the truth. The Bible says have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Rather, expose them. You can certainly do that. What you can't do is somebody lied on you, you lied on them. Somebody tricked you, you tricked them. Somebody stole something from you, you steal something from them. You can't do that. The Bible tells us don't. It says, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. In other words, you know, and I know the world doesn't understand this. In other words, people outside the family of, of God don't understand this. People who are not followers of the Lord Jesus Christ don't understand this. And by the way, that includes people who profess they are, but they really aren't. Like some of these crazy churches that are marrying homosexuals, like this stupid church out of Chicago that is using Lent, they said we were going to fast from whiteness. That's an abomination to God. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So I'm not even including them. These people, they're, they're not Christians. They're not. You can't be. What's this, what's this say? See that no one renders evil for evil. I mean, here again, I said it yesterday. So you're going to throw out the, the wonderful hymns and all that. Yeah, oh, those were written by white people. Like, God doesn't, God won't hear those prayers. He won't hear those songs. He won't hear that praise because it was written by white people. Ugh. Uh, those, I don't even count those people in the family of God. I really don't. Some of them may squeak through. Some of them may be God's and, and the only, the Bible says the Lord knows them that are his, but I don't, I don't acknowledge them because anybody who thinks and behaves and, and, and talks that way and promotes that kind of division and hatred can't possibly be a follower of Jesus Christ, in my view. They can't possibly know God because they're dividing 
the body of Christ itself on racial bases, the same thing that the racist slave masters did in trying to create a racial ideology of Christianity to justify slavery and justify the subjugation of black people. They're doing it all over again in reverse. That's rendering evil for evil. It says, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. When I critique these things, I'm doing what is good for me and for everybody. You know why? Because I'm helping people to understand the error of their ways so that they can turn their hearts away from that and turn toward the God, turn toward God. You see, this is one of my problems with Christians who won't speak up about this stuff, because if you don't speak up, then you leave people in the dark. You leave them without any sense of, well, okay, wow. So he's saying that's wrong. What, What I'm doing is wrong. So, so I say, oh my goodness, to the chagrin of, of a whole bunch of, of mainstream and establishment media and others, homosexuality is sin. Anyone practicing homosexuality is living a life of sin. I don't care what they call themselves. They can call themselves a Christian. They can call themselves a, a, a tomato if they want to, but they're living in sin. And the sin that they're living in is, com- is completely detested by God, all sin is, but this is a particularly abominable sin in his sight. He calls it an abomination to God and likens it to bestiality. In other words, it is unnatural. Now, by the way, you all know, I believe, I believe Facebook is shadow banning me. I believe that Facebook is limiting my audience because I say things like that. So really what they're doing is they're censoring the Bible because what I'm doing is I'm quoting the Bible. The Bible calls homosexuality an abomination to God, not Bishop Jackson. The Bible says it. So they're really censoring the Bible. So that's why we've established an app and that's why Bishop E.W. TV. You can see my stuff there. Bishop E.W. TV. Uh, I don't know whether I'm still suspended from YouTube or not. They suspended me over medical misinformation. So these people don't like my views and they're going to do everything they can to see to it that people don't hear me because they know that a lot of people will hear me and say, I agree with him. That's the truth. I'm inspired. I'm encouraged. Praise God. And they don't want that because they know better what you ought to hear and they know better what you ought to think and they know better what ought to be exposed to you. But homosexuality is sin, period. Now, it's true. Fornication is sin. Adultery is sin. That's true. But the Bible doesn't call fornication or adultery an abomination to God. It's a sin, yes. It's against God, yes. And like all sins, without receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the awesome price that he paid with his own precious blood for our sins, that sin will send you to hell just like the sin of homosexuality will send you to hell. But I don't see anybody running around talking about we're adulterers and we're proud of it and we want the whole world to follow us and we want to teach children about the glories of adultery and we want to teach children about fornication. We, I mean, I, I don't see that, do you? But you got to have a, a so-called, quote-unquote, gay pride month. 
We want to celebrate our homosexuality. We want to celebrate the fact that we want to have sex with people of the same gender we are, or people who don't have a gender or whatever it is now. I don't, who knows? There's a movement to transform the culture. That's what makes it different. That's what makes it necessary to talk about these things. I don't hear anybody out there saying, oh, adultery is a wonderful thing. Well, you might have some nutcases. Maybe Will Smith thinks that and Jada Pinkett thinks that, but most people don't. But you got homosexuals running around the country telling us it would be so great if a four-year-old can be exposed to homosexuality and shown pictures of explicit sex acts between two men because it's going to make them better. And a, and a law that prevents that is a hate law. That's a, that's a don't say gay law. I mean, uh, you know. Thank God most Americans have still got common sense and godly wisdom and see through that nonsense. So I'm helping them. They don't know it, but I'm helping them. I guarantee you, folks, I guarantee this without any question in my heart or mind whatsoever. I don't know whether it's one or 10 or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 or a million. But I know one thing, somewhere between one and some untold number, untold number, there is somebody caught up in that lifestyle who will say, I heard Bishop Jackson say it's sin and I was convicted about it and I couldn't get away from it. And I finally turned my life over to Jesus Christ and he delivered me from it. And now I'm living a normal life. Praise God. Thank God for Bishop Jackson because he's the first person I heard tell me the truth just flat footed, just slap me with it. And you know why I do it? Because I love them. Because I love them. The Bible says, if you do not warn, I think this is in, um, I think it's Ezekiel 33. But if you do not warn them against their sin, then their blood is on your hands. Let me, let me double check that reference because I, 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 that is part of our responsibility. Um, so if we really love people, that's what we're required to do. Uh, oh yeah, here we go. It is. It's Ezekiel 33. I had it right. Ezekiel 33, 8. Um, it says, see, so you son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, oh, wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will, I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. He says, therefore, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, means say to America, say to the world, if our transgressions, transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, 
how can we then live? In other words, you wallow in your sin. How are you going to live? You're not. He says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? That's love. That's love. Not this namby-pamby, oh, well, I don't want to offend anybody. Mess. Let me try to finish this up. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to get through these, um, get finished with these earlier than I have in the past. So um, we are in the 15th verse. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. See, that scripture is saying, Speaking up is good for you and it's good for them. It says rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. In other words, praise the Lord always. And, and saints, that means, that doesn't mean praise the Lord always and rejoice always for what is happening. It means praise the Lord always and rejoice always in spite of what is happening. See, David said, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praises shall continually be in my mouth. And you know, when he said that, when he wrote those words, he was an outlaw running from Saul. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. See, we're supposed to rejoice always. It says pray without ceasing. Now you say, well, Bishop, how can you pray without ceasing? How in the world can you do that? Listen, you ought to be in an ongoing, intimate conversation with God all the time. You know, that'll bless you in so many ways. Number one, it'll keep you on the street now. It'll keep you walking with God because it will remind you that he is always there. And as your fellowship continues with him, you, you become shaped and molded for, according to his will, his plan, his purpose for your life. So pray without ceasing means you're having ongoing fellowship with God. It doesn't mean you get on your knees and fold your hands from sun up to sundown and all night long. That's not what it's getting at. It's getting at an ongoing fellowship and conversation with God that never, ever, ever ends. And it's going to be, we're going to be doing that throughout all of eternity. It says in everything, give thanks. It doesn't say for everything. It says in everything. So see, I'm giving thanks to God right now. I've got some issues that I'm facing. You all heard me say my, my son is not doing real well right now. Not yet. We're praying and believing God. But I'm giving thanks for the fact that he's here with us, that, that he's alive, that he's getting the treatment that he needs, that, that saints all over the country are praying for him. I'm giving thanks to God for what he's already done. I'm giving thanks to God for the miracle that's going to happen. See, you can't base your thanks on the circumstances around you. Oh, things are going bad. Oh, oh, Lord, I sure wish you'd do something for me. Things are going good. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. No, 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 saints. It's always thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Because as that song says, I love that song. You are a good, good father. That's who you are. 
and I, I'm loved by you. That's who I am. So in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. To rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything to give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. See, that's God's will. You know, it's God's will that you never have a bad day. You know that. Say, now wait a minute, Bishop Jackson. God has to put trials and tribulations on you. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. I know people believe that mess, but it's not true. You won't find anywhere in the Bible where God puts trials and tribulations on you. The Bible says trials, and Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. He didn't say, I'm going to put it on you. He said, you shall have it. Why? Because the world is full of it. You know, I like it in terrain. It's like the people who think that, well, God must have done that. It's like people who go out and it starts raining while they're out. And they turn to God and say, why'd you make it rain on me? <laughs> you know, well, he didn't make it rain on you. It just rains. But I tell you what. He gave you good sense to put up an umbrella and he gave you a shelter to get out of the rain. So God, the Bible says, God is faithful with the temptation. He'll make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He's not putting it on you. He's trying to help you through it because it's the nature of the world you live in. It's just the will of God for you to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing and to in everything give thanks. So it's raining. Hallelujah. I praise you, Lord. Yeah, but you're getting soaking wet. Well, I'm not praising God because I'm soaking wet. I'm praising God in spite of it. Because I know God's going to dry me off. God's going to give me clean clothes. God's going to give me a warm place to shelter. God's going to take care of me. See, so I'm rejoicing always. I'm in everything giving thanks and I'm praying without ceasing. I'm not saying that any of us does this perfectly. I'll tell you, it takes discipline to thank and praise God when things are going bad. I said, look, anybody can praise God when things are going great. Look, sinners do that. People who don't know God do that. Thank God. <laughs> Wouldn't know God if he stepped in front of him and said, I'm God. And they say, uh, you who? <laughs> But you get it, a, if, something, if something great happens, thank God. Anybody can do that. But man, it takes, it takes, it's, it's, it's advanced Christianity to when the bad news comes, to give God praise anyway. And to thank God anyway. Here again, we're not thanking him for that. I don't thank God that my son is sick. It's that silly. I thank God for his presence and power and love in my life and in his life and for his healing power working in us. That's what I'm thanking God for. Rather than, oh, why did God do this? I, Lord, I've, I don't understand why you. I mean, that, that's saints. We got to get off that stuff. God does everything for a reason. Look, you got, children, you got children in cancer wards and hospitals all over this country. God didn't put them there, and God didn't give them the cancer. And you know, I, I'm offended by that idea. It just get, makes me rank. Because the God I serve is a good God, a loving God, a kind God, a merciful God. 
He is the only true and living God. And in him is life and peace and joy and love. But see, we get confused about this stuff. You know, people have their little sayings, their little religious traditional sayings. And, you know, they don't mean a thing. Well, you know, God is in control. No, he's not. No, he's not. Yeah, I said it. Because he's not. He could be. And he will be. But he's not. You know what he's in control of? You, if you've surrendered to him. Me, because I've surrendered to him. God is in control of my life. But you know what? Some drunk driver comes down a road that I'm driving. God's not in control of that drunk driver. God didn't put the alcohol in that person and have that person get behind the wheel of a car. I'll tell you what God is in control of. Lord, lead me, guide me, protect me. God says, go this way. I go that way. I miss the drunk driver. God's in control of my life. The drunk driver goes up and, and runs into a tree or runs through somebody's house or even hits somebody who wasn't praying and wasn't seeking God. And it's not God's fault that the drunk driver was driving the car. And it's not God's fault that the pedestrian got hit. It's just what happens in a, a sick and, 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 and lost and dying world. And when it doesn't happen to me, it's because I'm hearing from God. I'm talking to God. God has a plan for me. I'm following his guidance and direction. And there are things he leads me around and away from so that they don't happen to me. You say, well, then why do some bad things happen? Because I'm not perfect at it and nobody is. I'll tell you what, you didn't see it happening to Jesus. Why? Because he was perfect at it. And if you and I were perfect at it, we'd avoid all the trouble too, but we're not. If you and I were perfect at it, we'd walk in divine health. We'd never get sick because that's available to us. I believe that with all my heart. We would never find ourselves in a bad situation because the wisdom of God would rise up in us and we would always, always know the right thing to do. But we don't. Sometimes we know the right thing to do and don't do it anyway. And, and I'm talking about us as Christians. But don't blame God. It's not God's fault. It says, do not quench the spirit. In other words, if you're not rejoicing always, and you're not praying without ceasing, and in everything you're not giving thanks, you could be quenching the Holy Spirit. If instead of rejoicing, you're sad and depressed and down. Instead of praying, you're just worrying and wondering and thinking. And instead of giving thanks, you're saying, woe is me. Why did this happen to me? This is so bad. You are quenching the Spirit of God in your life. Don't do it. The Spirit of God is empowered to, to work with you and in you and through you as you do these things and rejoice and pray and, and give thanks to God. It goes on to talk about some other things, which I'll, I'll wait. We'll probably finish this chapter up uh, tomorrow. Uh, but I, I don't want to introduce another thought because I don't have time to get into it um, as much as I'd like in the time we've got left. But God bless each and every one of you. Um, this is a Thursday, and uh, I would just encourage you to, to follow what the scripture is telling you to do. You may have found an answer to one of the issues that's plaguing you or bothering you or something that's affecting you. 
This is, this is how you deal with it. You, you stick with the Word of God. You, you, look, you don't read the Word of God so you'll have stuff in your head. You read the Word of God so that you can fill your head, but more importantly, your heart, and know what to do. You ought to be looking for what to do because the Word of God is going to tell you what to do. And I just shared some things with you. These are things we ought to do. Remember, I was talking to Pastor J.C. Church about this, and his son had brought it up in some remarks he made, and I've said it many times. Your success, your prosperity, your achievement, your overcoming is not based upon the one dramatic thing you can think of to do that's going to change everything. It's based upon the daily little disciplines that become good habits and practices that are going to accumulate and stand you in good stead all the days of your life. And the outcome will be as if it were miraculous, but it happened not by one dramatic event, but by you continually doing day by day the little things that God has called you to do. If you are faithful over a few things, God says, I'll make you ruler over many. God bless you. I love you. Pray for me. Pray for our country. And remember, we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side.